Welcome to the Star Love Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Beck, the Oracle in New Orleans, founder of Inner Makeup Astrology. To learn more about what I do, visit innermakeup.net. And today we welcome astrologer Rebecca Gordon. She's a renowned New York City astrologer, founder of the Rebecca Gordon Astrology School, which has been running for the past 15 years. She's also the co-author of the book, Your Body and the Stars. She's the resident astrologer for Harper's Bazaar and has been featured on television shows like Dr. Oz, CNN, and Fox News, among others. It is Rebecca's mission to align people with their own unique brand of stardust so they can live their true potential. Rebecca, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing quite well. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm excited to be here with you. You know, what were your interests growing up and how may it related how how may it have related to astrology? So I guess Dan at um at I grew up here in New York City and I had an obsession with astronomy growing up. Mm. Not I didn't know that astrology existed, of course, as a child, but I remember Probably from the age of four, I remember collecting anything that had to do with planets and stars. And uh, then my first books were basically when I could never go to the library and choose books, they were kids astronomy books. So I got to memorizing all the planets, Mm. even the names of the galaxies Mm. um, and what's going on in the Kuiper Belt, the moons of Jupiter. I really... I I would say I focused on astronomy. pretty much up to age 14. Like at night after dinner, I was always going out in the backyard if we had one where we were living or outside to, you know, spot constellations and stars and look them up. So I guess that was sort of my hobby prior to astrology. And uh, yeah, that's what got me into it initially um, until I was 14, which is when I discovered astrology. So that's so interesting. And this is why I love the podcast, because you get to know things, I think, about people and the astrologers. But a lot of people get into astrology and then have to learn the astronomy. So how do you think that's played into your ultimate move towards becoming an astrologer that you started with astronomy and then moved into astrology? Well, it's a big part of my practice still really connecting to the night sky because uh, right now many of us use, uh, you know, SolarFire or mm-hmm. Astro.com or any of these websites, and it's also doing a disservice to us. It's wonderful because we can uh, create these quick charts that show up, you know, in, in a second. But but also we lose touch with the energy of the night sky. And mm-hmm. like when you look at Jupiter, you will see this beautiful, warm, incandescent kind of glow around it. And you look at Saturn and you see it has a grayish tone. Mm -hmm. Mars has this bright red tone. And understanding the movements of the planets and the sun and moon day to day, month to month, you really kind of connect to the sky in another way. So I encourage all my astrology students to really learn astronomy uh, because they'll begin to see the charts differently, more organically. Uh, it's really unfortunate that the way that Solar Fire and all these programs show them is kind of like this donut with all of these things <laughs> flying around in it, which right. makes absolutely no sense because that really has nothing to do with the way the sky looks. Uh, so it's really important to orient ourselves. Um, it's absolutely changed the way I see it because if you, I imagine every time I look at a chart, I literally imagine what does it feel like when there's a full moon above like a a moon in the 10th house Mm -hmm. a full moon you know and Mm -hmm. i imagine that sky what it is to be like with venus 
rising as a morning star, what that mm. looks like and feels like. So I, I always put myself in the actual sky map, mm -hmm. um, standing there and pretending I'm seeing the sky and, and mm. really from it. And I recommend my all of my students are avid sky watchers now too. They well they have all the apps too to see what they're looking at. Um, so I really informed my practice. And you know, then when I started studying astrology, of course it's um, you know the geocentric uh, model, and that's why the charts are set up like that on Solar Fire. So um, I started going deeper into astronomy again after studying astrology. I guess it just increased. I mean, my awareness even more so. And then I fell in love with math and geometry again, mm. through studying astrology and history and all of the subjects I think you can find in the vastness of astrology. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, wow. You know, this. can you describe, and you sort of already did, but compare and contrast what it means to just do astrology you know you're looking at a 2d you know flat astrology chart versus astrology that really is more based in how we perceive physical reality from here on earth 3d the heavens that we're interacting with uh, it, you could you, uh, you you've said it so beautifully but could you compare and contrast a little bit sort of how I, I mean to be honest people come into my studio i do readings it you really are it's a 2d chart i'm pulling up on the screen you know mm -hmm. and i i actually show people that but then there have been times you know it's funny the other day i went to um you know, Hilton Head, South Carolina, and I was, the, the house I happened to be in, it was much more 3D, and some of the house cusps, I don't want to get too much into the technique of it, but it it worked better for Campanus houses, which takes into account the prime vertical, and it, it's, mm -hmm. the, the chart actually wasn't working in kind of more of a 2D <laughs> conception, because I was kind of in a 3D state of mind, and we were watching the sunset, you know, over this marsh, and you were really, it was kind of like a 3D moment, but but could you, you know, a lot of astrology, I think it, you're right, it does, um, it is very 2D, that's kind of, it's the blessing and the curse, but, you know, on a practical level, how can people kind of get into the feel of 3D astrology versus maybe, especially if they've just been using 2D astrology, like if you say you go on astro.com, that's the chart you get, you're kind of starting there. So it's funny, a lot of uh, my practice of doing this began with writing horoscopes, which I started probably in my mid-20s. And um, because whenever I was writing for a sign, I would imagine myself standing on the ascendant using solar mm. charts. If I'm writing for Aries, I put Aries on the ascendant. If I'm writing for Pisces, Pisces on the ascendant. And then from that perspective, you know, I imagine looking down, like at the root system, let's say at the base of the chart, I see Pluto, Saturn and Jupiter, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think about what does that feel like um, if it's at the foundations of my being? Um, mm -hmm. Do I feel like I'm on solid foundation? What does that feel like? What does it feel like if that red planet Mars is above me? You know, if Mars is in the 10th house, imagining that beaming down and just I feeling into that because that's how it would be born at that time. So I think writing horoscopes actually can help you to be a much better astrologer because you're constantly orienting the chart um, based on whatever sign is on the ascendant. And I do that for natal charts too. I mm -hmm. think it it makes people better natal chart readers and it helps with 
ways of imagining like what does it feel like to look across the horizon and see saturn there like mm -hmm. trying to dim the light and let's say the sun is on the ascendant the sun's like no i gotta shine and then you're looking across the horizon line mm -hmm. and maybe it's pluto there maybe it's saturn maybe it's jupiter but to see that as your opposition point what do you feel what does that wow. feel like for the client so mm -hmm. it's really about i i mean I think it becomes more of an empathic process. Mm. Um, and to me, astrology is actually a study of compassion. When you really go into it, you put yourself in their shoes. And that's what I do when I'm preparing for reading or writing horoscopes. I literally pretend I am the Gemini. I feel into being the ascendant and looking at the entire solar system from the perspective of Gemini, seeing where all the planets are and doing that with every chart reading. So, it's really more of a kinesthetic process, I guess. Wow, that's incredible. I think that actually could be very helpful for both readers of, say, horoscopes or people who are getting an astrology reading and for astrologers. You know, it's something I guess I've unwittingly sort of done, although I don't think to the level that you've done, but I write horoscopes for a magazine down here in New Orleans called Ambush Magazine. And I do always preface it with that this is a divinatory moment, so you're participating in it. Um, so there is that feel to it and emotion. I guess it, you know, it's helpful to me personally too, because I have Venus conjunct my midheaven in the ninth house of astrology so it it kind of you know gets me and then sextile the moon uh in the eighth house so it it actually kind of helps me get into this moon venus feel maybe okay. of astrology yeah that's quite helpful to me and i didn't ex this is why i love the podcast because i didn't ex you know it's all the hidden treasures that come out okay so also, I hear you talking a lot about colors, and you have an arts background. And when people go to your website, Rebecca Gordon Astrology, and all of you know your social media platforms, everything you do, you have quite a considerable eye for aesthetics and color and artistry. You know, people will have heard in the introduction. You know, you're working with you know major fashion lines and um, lines that deal with cosmetics and all this kind of stuff. So, could you talk about some of your early experiences as an artist and how they've carried through into the present oh sure i mean but even astrology is uh, i mean it's uh if you read any of the early texts right it's poetry like minilius right. um right. i mean they're they they speak in absolute verse you know mm -hmm. there there's colors and imagery um it's not nearly as linear as the way that it's been uh perceived today so i think that it's really the core of astrology is very much poetry i mean it's it's a poetic act it's translating something that's sort of formless and into form and something that's you know more vast and conceptual into sentences that are digestible that can absolutely impact and inform people about who they are in their lives so it's that whole translation process from the abstract into the tangible. And that, I mean, that's where the art form comes in and how we do that. So I always say when my students enter the school, it's like, well, people always say, can anybody be an astrologer? And, and I say in that point, like, well, really what's important is your conceptual thinking and your creativity, because you will need to translate something mm -hmm. abstract into something quite tangible. Like you're in a square Venus okay, how are you, you really do have to be 
creative in your words and descriptions and being mindful with those too. Uh, my background is in arts, yes. And I, as I was a sculptor, I welded metal primarily. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, growing up, you know, I had my, my main interest was astrology. I did readings all through high school mm. for everybody I could get my hands on. I was, let me, let me see your chart. You know? <laughs> let me see your chart for my family, friends, my grandparents, even. Those were the first charts I did. But I didn't know astrology could actually be a career, as many of us did not know that in high school. And especially like in the 90s, it wasn't nearly as popular as it is right now in terms of an, a viable career. So I just studied it. And then when it came time to go to school, I had done a whole lot of painting and I was able to do that quite well. So I, I got into these art schools um, through that. And mm. even like the idea of to want to be an artist, I, I was doing that at the moment sort of as this way of self-expression, but however, I was doing astrology reading self through art school. Mm. And what I ended up doing in art school actually was combining the two together i i did a whole series of paintings um sculptures that were based on specific studies on aspects like mm -hmm. for example that venus square uranus in different signs and uh energetic what does that look like in an image in a color and tone feel so i explored astrology through art and i think you you do sort of need to be fluid with your senses when you're doing astrology like okay that aspect is happening pluto opposed sun what does that feel like for cancer what does it feel like for capricorn um and yeah getting to the taste touch smell feel of it and that fluidity is key I, i'm also a cellist so i like i do see charts as very much um when i look at the chart and i i, I I am, I'm very much into interdisciplinary acts. So I, I mm -hmm. partnered with composers a while back and started turning the charts into music using the circle of fifths. Uh, mm. There's, uh, so I, I'm really interested, yeah, I'm interested in the whole interdisciplinary astrology, um, what it looks like in sound, in art, all of that. I mean, that's not a lot of what I'm doing currently, but I really explore those spaces and I find that they speak so well to astrology and sometimes clients receive more as well through other mediums other than words. You know, and this is a quote that I pulled from your website. Astrology is the language of all energy. Astrology is the poetry of life. And, you know, it's interesting for me because for people who are just getting into this, especially in the past several decades, there's been a revival of looking at ancient texts. And I wanted to get your thought on this uh, as it just arises in the interview. But, you know, we we still we're living in a very scientific age and actually still very religious age, which is very exacting. You know, God doesn't make mistakes or there's the standard is held by the scientific method. And, you know, there needs if we're going to do an experiment, then things need to replicate. So, we, you know, we really have these things as a way of knowing. But 
you know, back in ancient times, you know, we can approximate that it was this very different way of being where there was an intertwining with the cosmos. And perhaps some of these texts, as you say, Manilius or even Dorothea, some of these ancient writers, they weren't necessarily thinking about these texts to be applied in a literal way, but yet to have a poetic mindset. So, you know, you, you sort of touched on that a little bit, but, you know, if how might somebody who's learning astrology, well, you already kind of answered the question, but, but, you know, just like for people who are like just getting into astrology, you know, what would you say to them as far as, and, and you do, you have classes for people who are just starting in astrology, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I've been running school for 15 years and right. that's my greatest passion is mentoring students, mm-hmm. teaching in the school. We have starter classes, beginners, intermediate, and we're just starting to build out a new advanced class now because students said they want deeper studies. Um, So what advice could you give to people, you know, as they're for, you know, honestly, for advanced astrologers or beginning astrologers, as they're starting to look at charts, how to or even just phenomena in general that might be divinatory, how to interpret that? I mean, the language is so powerful i feel like it builds the whole architecture of our world and the way we wield words is the most important thing um in terms of people just getting into astrology and starting to read their first books maybe they've co-star and you know consuming a lot of memes or whatever they're doing right um, so this is my, my point this is my point um, you know yeah, so for, that's a lot of people out there, right? Just and as, as astrology is becoming so popular now. So, um, what I think is the one main thing that I see missing from the vast array of books out there um, is that sense of the mindfulness in the mm. communication and the nuance, the the subtlety in these things that was lost from since, uh, you know, Manilius and all of these guys, right? And we do see now it's sort of like Aries or the first house, like everything sort of collapsed into this like sign or house thing, right? So that whole movement, and and there was the whole series of cookbooks, you know, from the 70s up to now, um, Mm -hmm. which are also like iterations of a very similar thing. Um, Aries, Venus and Aries means this, this means Mm -hmm. that. And, And then you have people just, regurgitating that mm-hmm. which is i i don't think that's good i i really think astrology needs to be chewed on and keep uh, you know and, until you extract the juice from it like he and w- my students and i play a game in class you know we do this kind of popcorn thing like we throw out an aspect <laughs> with different signs and we'll we'll all keep chewing on it until we really get to the core essence and that process is key um and it's not about repeating what you read in the books. You you need to have a personal involvement. You need to look at the sky, connect to it, and know that this person receiving the reading will remember every little word you say mm-hmm. for the rest of their life. Like this is a getting a reading is a very big deal for somebody, right? So they've sure. been preparing. They're kind of scared. They're like, I don't know, is this person going to tell me my future? Um, and I spend a lot of time with my students uh, speaking about the consultation process and practice, uh, transference, all mm-hmm. of the things that happen in the consultation room, because this moment 
I think people like Jeffrey Cornelius talk a lot about this too, right. you know, in the moment of astrology. Right. Um, it is such a precious moment of the meeting and you need to not only have have a lot of information up your sleeve and have read tons of books, but you need to know how to listen and how to really thaw out on the energy of an aspect and say, well, what does that mean now? What could it have meant then? What does it mean in this scenario, that scenario? So it involves a lot more creativity than I think is naturally given. Um, and, and many people think that, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many people enter my school having been reading astrology books for 10 years and they've been going to so many webinars and then they enter the first class, first or second class. They're like, wow, I know nothing. Okay. Because <laughs> what, what we, what we do is we put it into hierarchy. What's missing from all of this is actually what's the centerpiece in the middle of the living room. When you look at a chart, what's actually important and what's not, mm-hmm. you know, we have people coming in that have been, oh, my Lilith is here, and this Quincunx is that, and this is happening there, and Juno is, you know, in semi-squared, <laughs> right? These random pieces of information without a sense mm-hmm. of hierarchy. So I feel like it really is important to work with actual astrologers and mentors, teachers, and, mm-hmm. like, dive into charts together um, and explore the poetry of it. It's so beautiful when you can do that. And yeah, I, mm-hmm. it's not. I, cookbooks have their place in the world, sure, um, but essentially it's like training wheels, right? You know, it's interesting. You should bring up that you're a cellist. I both of my degrees are in classical music, so you know, I think there's an analog here that it's like, okay, this is an A sharp. Um, that's the first, like identifying the note, but then playing a piece of music or, okay, this is a book I'm reading. Okay. Like I was just saying, I'm reading crime and punishment. That's the title. And then, you know, you get into the reading of the novel and it's an interpretation, you know, I was blessed with a client, um, Kathy, if you're out there, hello. Uh, and she said, oh yeah, astrology is a divinatory art or, you know, cause I'm in new Orleans, everybody kind of just accepts astrology as divination, although this is definitely debated and, you know, what is the science that can be yielded from astrology or done with astrology, you know, versus or, um, you know, combined with divination in some way. But, you know, there was a class in school, I remember, interpretive analysis. So we interpret the chart, you know, what is it? And, you know, I'm so glad you brought up Jeffrey because I'm such a huge fan and he actually came on the podcast, but this concept of the moment of astrology. So for people listening, even if you're just getting into astrology, what are those moments along the way that you interpret something? Or as you say, Rebecca, some one aspect comes out that is germane. And what, why in that moment do you happen to be looking in that aspect and what might that message be, if at all? And the, the other thing I think we can take too, especially from moment of astrology, the concept of horary astrology, which is much more the astrology of the moment or you know something that is prompted by a pressing personal question, one has to take into account the state of the astrologer. So if you're an astrologer in this situation, you have to consider where you are and maybe how you might be involved in the chart. So, you know, there's, they're really, I, I really love this concept of being much more empathic or having a modicum of creativity or interpretive poetry in the astrology reading. So it's not just so much that we're, 
like looking in with a little telescope and okay, here comes the client and here's the natal chart. And, you know, I'm like in my white coat lab and it doesn't really matter what I do. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems it's very quite sterile. And, you know, I think it's what I love about what you're saying that, you know, there is yeah. this, you know, um, you know, thinking in color, I mean, your arts background and really thinking of the color of the planets or imagining, you know, how um, one is involved in this tapestry of the cosmos. Okay, so talking about, you know, your musical background as a cellist, and, you know, I have a classical music background myself, you're actually saying that there have been some extraordinary musical experiences that you've had actually actualizing astrology charts into musical compositions and people having a real visceral response to that. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, this all stemmed from a collaboration I did in, I think, 2013 or 14 with a composer uh, where we created a system for translating each chart into a musical composition um, using a whole variety of instruments, um, instrumentation also based on the element and the whole cadence of the chart. So I really... Um, to everyone's surprise, I, I prepared this for a retreat. I piloted this on a retreat and I, I created a composition for each of the retreat goers. And um, so the last day, each one might've been around five to 10 minutes long. Uh, so the last day, what we did was played each uh, chart composition as everybody lied down and closed their eyes. Mm. And the idea was, by the last day of the retreat, everybody had gotten to know each other quite well. Uh, so the idea was that they would guess who was each piece <laughs> by the sound wow. of it. And I will tell you, just about everybody got it 100%. They were able wow. to match the person to the composition. And this taught me a lot. Um, mm -hmm. This was telling me, wow, people, they're, they're so much that can be conveyed in other ways and that's really astrology is the essence of somebody um and some pieces sounded more discordant and jarring than others and that's great sometimes we need music to be challenging us mm -hmm. and those are the people that challenge us you mm -hmm. know that person with uranus on the ascendant right that yeah. crescendo there i was like saying hey turn this on its head right mm -hmm. and you hear that in the sound as well um so there, there's, and I think that's a, a good general practice is to look at a chart and say, what would that sound like? Mm -hmm. You know, what is, and, and what is, imagine, what does it feel like when people come into contact with that sound? You know, and a lot of people on the, with Uranus on the Ascendant, for example, will say, hey, I'm not for everybody. You know, <laughs> they're quite aware of that. Yeah. You know, like it's it's a very specific um, stylistic mark. And um you can see that in color and sound, et cetera. So, so yeah, I, I find this kind of practice is what makes people a good astrologer. When you can put yourself in the chart as seeing all the planets in the solar system as they are, what does that feel like to be on the horizon line watching the sun opposing you or Mercury and saying, wow. what does that sound like? What does that look like? What does that feel like? You know, mm -hmm. um, to be standing on the ascendant of that chart. You know, it's funny you should bring up Uranus on the Ascendant because I had a client and she, ex without going into too much detail, the year, one of her solar returns, she had Uranus in Aries smack dab on the Ascendant. She experienced a real tragedy that upended her life. 
and she came and saw me years later after this had happened, but it really, it pushed her in a lot of directions that she probably wouldn't have gone had this not happened. Not easy at all. But so one of the things we're really getting into, and this is actually quite historical, that astrology might be best placed in the broader context of the humanities. You know, the, the you know, as I was saying, you you brought up Jeffrey Cornelius, and you want this was one of the things that I explored on that podcast about bringing different forms of literature in or just whatever your medium might be, but that it shouldn't necessarily be disconnected like the muses. I mean, let's not forget Urania, the muse <laughs> of, of, oh, yes, come on. Or, um, you know, Marsilia Ficino, or, you know, you, you mentioned um, Manilius. I mean, this, you know, astronomy wasn't disconnected from poetry or the medicinal arts or, you, you know, where right. things are very disembodied, but, you know, the the attempt to bring things into a more multidisciplinary conception, you know, maybe that it, this this is a theme that seems to be running through the podcast. It might be diff- difficult for people to imagine because it does require imagination and, you know, thinking that isn't so uh, linear or, you know, dismal, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. Agree completely. And that's sort of what, what I've been focusing on. I think that's been the main cornerstone of my practice mm-hmm. is like, okay, can I bring astrology into the business world? What would that mm. look like? And how can it affect people? Or can I bring astrology into this sector or that sector and mm-hmm. um, reintegrating it? And as you were saying, the health practice too, um, and bringing that in in a modern way mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're not going to give them leeches, right? Um, who knows? Maybe that works. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so it's not medical advice. Strange things do happen, though. There's a it's a weird thing how things work. You know, and this this is quite interesting. So just what what is so we'll get into this a little bit working in different um you know, arenas, but, but what, what's the response? You know, you had said, okay, your students were like, wow, I know nothing, but what's the, once they go through your courses and perhaps they get into more of an imaginative poetic mindset, how does that change them? I mean, it seems like that would really open people up in wonderful ways that they might not have been able to be opened up before. Yes. I mean, I, I feel that the study of astrology is not, it's not, it's never just like, I'm going to learn astrology and be able to give chart readings. It's never that flat because when you start to see yourself and from all of these different orientations, right? It's like, and you look at a model and architecture from below, from above from the side, every way, when you begin to see yourself in all these ways and facets, um, you basically, you enable more of your light to come out. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, people who like learning astrology, of course, it's, it's a study of the self. It's a study of self-awareness of the whole inner makeup, if you will. Right. (laughs) Um, So it, not only do you learn about yourself, but I, I really do feel that it gives you a great deal of compassion for others Mm. and ultimately permission. Like, I think the thing that I hear most is that uh, people who study it and the school or however readings, that sense of permission of, Hey, this is my shape. My colors and my who I am, I'm going to just freaking own it and mm-hmm. commit to it. And when you do commit to that self and who you are fully, I I find that for most people, there is a sense of grace that starts to happen mm-hmm. in life and synchronicity mm-hmm. uh, because you're 
it's almost like how like the soul has like the mental emotional body the physical body decides to commit to the soul intent it's like mm. okay can we really grasp onto that and when that synergy happens there's this sense of ease that can occur and i'm not saying life oh it just becomes the breeze <laughs> because of course it doesn't there's always drenched. i mean we're in earth school here right this is yeah. this is hard i mean but uh, to me that that is the practice is is can we remember who we are can we reconnect the the body emotions mind spirit all of this to the soul intent what does that feel like and look like um and ultimately yeah it's it is meaning it it gives it a sense of meaning but more than that i i think on a very practical level it lets people know like well yeah that certain paths are for me certain paths are not for me mm-hmm. and i think that's really empowering to know like things we can be good at things that are really challenging for us in general as how to navigate this crazy world um it is you know at, at its core it is that kind of roadmap to me at least yeah and you wrote it was reading this on your website the importance of getting what you want but you have to understand what one wants or what the soul wants in order to move into that grace and i think of um emily dickinson the we have one of our great poets uh, the soul selects her own society then shuts the door to her divine majority present no more <laughs> So there, there is this binding of, okay, um, and this was another quote from your website. I think this is Carl Jung, who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awake. So it is this. One of my favorites. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it is this, the, you know, you, 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 one projecting or looking outside, it's not going to work for that, what's going to satisfy the soul on a deep level and to move there. So th- this, this actually is interesting because we actually seem to be moving into the past and the future, which is interesting because I was learning about this neurologically the same part of the brain that remembers the past also imagines the future but and and you know a lot of um prior thinkers and astrologers they didn't have an issue with there being a corporeal relationship or a bodily relationship with the heavens they objected to not using free will so that and i find this quite fascinating in your work because you actually do get into health matters with astrology you know you, i you have this book your body and stars with actually a medical doctor stephanie marango md so how did you and this is not medical advice or anything but how did you get into uh, astrology and wellness uh you know that that seems to be a great area that especially because historically astrology as we were saying was not connected from different arts including the medical arts and you know i i've been somewhat surprised although i guess i shouldn't be but i do have a lot of medical practitioners come to me as i'm sure you do but how, how did you get into astrology and wellness and what can you recommend for people who are trying to get their health in line and uh you know through you know astrology sure well actually one of my favorite um i mean when i learned astrology let me put it this way at, at the age of 14 which was through my at that time neighbor who became my stepmother uh though I was babysitting at her house. I found the astrology books. At that point, I found the books and my Virgo mind was like, wait, is this real? Let me check. <laughs> you know, let, let me do the research because I love astronomy and this is just mm-hmm. blowing my mind. And if it's real, I'm going to commit my life to it. I was absolutely obsessed. So when the kids would go to sleep, this was when I was babysitting at 14 at her house, I would just read all her books. 
in those books, they were written in such a way that astrology encompassed the physical, the medical, the psychological, mm -hmm. emotional. Really, it, it would, I was so lucky to have such wonderful early wow. books. Wow. And when she started to mentor me, essentially, we start working together throughout since when I was 14, all through high school, we would work on charts every week. Uh, when we when we worked together, uh, there was no division between medical astrology and say and humanistic, psychological or emotional or soul astrology. It was all one encompassing. Like, well, you know, this is Virgo and the abdomen and the you know um, the digestion tract, the small intestines. What's mm -hmm. going on there? Um, so these things were all really combined. I never saw it as different as the way I learned it. And then, you know, once wow. I started seeing how astrology was taught, I was like, oh, there's psychological astrology, there's medical, there's this, there's that. Right. Um, and the way I teach it, we have to look at everything together. Like if somebody comes into a session and they say, oh, my, my back's been hurting, you know, I'm going to see perhaps that, let's say um, they're having their Saturn return and their Saturn is in Leo, perhaps. And Leo rules them in back. So we talk about what else could this mean? What's really going on there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's behind this pain? And we talk about what that means in their how their lifestyle, things, because physical is always the last place something lands. Like it's mm -hmm. usually an ongoing pattern, sure. um, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, everywhere before things land in the body. Usually they've been happening for quite a while. So... I think we have to look at it as astrologers from all perspectives. Um, the, and the book really came out of that. The book, uh, as you mentioned, Your Body and the Stars, we collaborated on as a way to make medical astrology much more accessible and tangible because mm. obviously a lot of the medical astrology books out there can be kind of scary as we know like oh right. this this and this you're gonna have diphtheria or that or you know <laughs> well, and doesn't that that get worse you know it see this is why i love the podcast and i say it every time but you know i didn't really know the interview was going to go here but again and this is what some of the ancients were objecting to that there is this corporeal relationship with the heavens to the physical body, but that doesn't mean that one doesn't have free will and to, dear God, remedy things, yeah. you know? So it's like, if you have X, you have X, but it's how one lives out the chart, the stars incline, but they don't compel. And, you know, as another, uh, to buttress your point, I used to live in New Haven, Connecticut, you know, right, you know, not too far from where you are in New York. And, um, I had a client, a wonderful client, and he was like, oh, yes, you have to, the at because um, New Haven is where Yale University is, and there's the Harvey Cushing Library, which is the medical library, and he was the father of modern neurosurgery, and if you go, he has a little library, you can go into his basement, and actually, interestingly, he was an Aries, so there were all these heads there, and Aries rules the head, and he used all sorts of astrological charts in his work, so there is this tradition that is there. I mean, it's not, you know, anything that's even really hidden, but, you know, I think because of the dominance of modern science, we do, at least in the way science is conceived of, it is rejected. Although, you know, seems like that, maybe that's changing. Um, but just to give people an idea, the, these things aren't really out of left field. I mean, there's a well, great tradition in history. I mean, it's not, yeah. you know, well, it's interesting because astrology is really um, medical astrology really derives from, 
you know, the Western humeric theory, the humors pretty much. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and medical astrology is pretty, probably one of, the, one of the oldest forms of astrology because people were sick and we didn't have x-rays and scalpels, but we did have birth charts and access to the moment of onset and things like mm -hmm. that astrologically. So we were able to ascertain a lot of information about the problem based on their temperament, the balance of earth, air, fire, and water, their susceptibilities, and herbs were prescribed, things like that um, to sort of um, balance out what they have. Um, and, and I think that's a general rule. As a general rule, that's the first place I go in medical is like, okay, where's there an imbalance? And let's work on first balancing that before anything else in the ecosystem. So I use mm -hmm. my ecosystems method when doing medical astrology and really first coming from a place of how do we rebalance this chart? Mm -hmm. Let's say there's a lack of an element or a lot of strain in a certain organ seen through a planet. We really want to first tonify that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a doctor, so it's illegal for me to prescribe things. Sure. But sure. often what we do in those sessions is discuss the medical issue that's happening, seeing where it's from. Sometimes it uh, has to do with uh, the moment of birth. Sometimes it's prenatal, subconscious, sometimes patterns that have been woven through the lineage. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's a certain trauma in life that really created uh, a pattern. And astrology gives us the ability to cite these moments and see them through a different perspective. I mean, perspective is, I think, where the healing is at in astrology mm -hmm. is when mm -hmm. we can reorient our perspective on something. Healing can then occur. Instead of being inside of it, we can explore it from externally and from different orientations. You know, yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, again, some of the healthcare practitioners that come to see me, not necessarily because of their own health, but... They they have the sign Leo on the 11th house and the astrologer Bruce Schofield writes about the 11th house being your clients. So if one's a doctor, the 11th house is the clients and Leo is the sign of expression and performance and heart and creativity. So I, I see this happening and I'm like, well, you know, think you must think of or at least consider thinking about these things like the medical arts um, and that, you know, it's not just a word like, OK, medical arts. And then it's just like we're talking about literal interpretations. <laughs> oh, just the medical. No, that there is a move towards creativity with medicine and these other things. And there is a lineage and tradition. And, you know, wow, like some of the stuff you're doing. Um, So we're, yeah. we have about. Well, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's interesting that, yeah, there's, there's lineage and it's interesting that mostly what we've inherited here in the West is more of the Ayurvedic theory, which is okay. um, the Eastern, right? So mm -hmm. there hasn't really been a Western medical, more holistic tradition that's translated to these modern times. Mm -hmm. However, it does exist. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Isn't so that that's, kinda, I think that's something very, we attempted to do in the book is to really bring that to light a bit. Oh, wonderful. And it's just, that is interesting. And I hadn't really thought about that that much, but you know, so many people do seem open to the Eastern traditions, but why not as well look at what is some of the history of Western tradition as well? And, you know, I think it gets into throwing out the baby with the bathwater type things, you know, you, people move on and then it, they, part of the, 
things get lost. Um, so, you know, we're starting to come down the pike a little bit, but you started to talk about really, again, okay, so we potentially move astrology into the humanities or it's this multidisciplinary thing and it shouldn't be divorced from medicine and all that. But, okay, you, you move into the business world. You start consulting with people and businesses and organizations. And we might think of, okay, organizational psychologists and all this. But astrology, you know, we have a little bit, um, people might remember the Myers-Briggs and all that. But but how do you bring astrology into these organizations? I mean, it's a pretty unique thing. I mean, it is being done, but not widely, um, maybe as it could be. But how do you approach that? So it, it began where clients were asking uh, me in a reading. They're like, wow, could you bring this to my team? And I thought, wow, mm -hmm. interesting idea. And so this started, I guess, about six years ago. And I mean, now I work with a whole lot of companies ranging from Gary Vee to Adobe and various other tech and fashion brands. Mm -hmm. um, what, I'm, what I've created is a system that allows members of a team or company to understand each other better and to create ultimately um, better working relationships and ul ultimately also I you know in, the, in a session I would look <laughs> at the chart of the company we look right, at the year ahead we right. look at all of that too but mm -hmm. it's a day of team building events which I basically conduct a lot mm -hmm. of people in those are like wow this is like so much better than strengths finders sometimes they say stuff like that because they're used to right, finder. Right. they can compare it to those um but i really get them to think more poetically about who they are and each other and what we find in those team building sessions is that people let's say for example somebody with a um with a lot of Leo and Libra in their chart, like they were hiding in the background of a company, but we see they have all of this energy that wants to express mm -hmm. more aesthetically. And mm -hmm. you know, when, when the CEO and other people on the team will see this, sometimes they're like, hey, we should actually put you to more speaking roles or in the front lines, right. meeting the consumer. Right. And, and they get excited about that idea. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we've, we've seen companies also kind of reposition people based on some of these talks after chatting about it. And we, I maintain relationships with the companies too after mm -hmm. sometimes they want to do follow up. Um, but they teach me a lot as well. Like I, mm -hmm. I love doing these events. Um, because a lot of times, well, let's say the CEO of the company is into astrology, but the let's say a lot a lot of the employees initially might have had no interest in it whatsoever. Right. And then I show up there, but I endorsed by the CEO, so they're very open to it. Um, mm -hmm. And I just see people completely open up uh, when they start to see mm -hmm. themselves and see each other in this way um, mm -hmm. using the ecosystems method. Um, and we create exercises and breakout groups, all sorts of things for that. So it's it's been a lot of fun for me to bring astrology into new arenas. And I think that's what I'm always challenging myself with is like, well, uh, how can we globally connect more to the natural cycles and who we are? Like, I don't want astrology just to exist in these conferences and hotels or on Zoom webinars or, or between clients and their astrologers. Like, how can this awareness once again regain consistency throughout the fabric of life? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that's how it was for a thousand uh, years, I know, right? I know. And, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's the age of endarkenment, right? I mean, like, 
I love science. Science is great and all, but we lost a lot. As you said, we threw the baby out with bathwater, right? In the 1700s, mm-hmm. a lot of great things happened, but also there was a divorcing that happened, mm-hmm. a divorcing from the earth and sky. And sort of, um, I, I think, yeah, my focus has always been to um, reclaim astrology into other sorts of industries that are not astrology to see how does knowing ourselves and the natural cycles connect to most everything we do Mm -hmm. and how can we all really accept each other more and live um, with greater awareness um, of of ourselves of each other by this knowledge again seeing it as a study of compassion that's how i'm always approaching it Mm -hmm. Absolutely wonderful. So, you know, I listed some of the, I mean, you can check it out on Rebecca's website, RebeccaGordonAstrology.com, but really major companies and brands. One thing, because we're starting to come down the pike, and I want to get, because people, this is going to be coming out in late 2020, and some of the transits uh, later this year and then into 2021 to give people some idea about your take on that. But this Chanel numerology heard, uh, you know, Gabriel Chanel's um, lucky number um, was five. Can you tell me about that? <laughs> so like Chanel number five, the fragrance. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, so a lot of times um, brands will contact me about giving a talk to the company um, about like the year ahead, let's say, or they'll reach out um, about an event they want to do for press. I mean, like, I literally don't, I didn't know how they found me. This was probably, it started around 10 years ago or more, uh, but I've been working with companies a lot like this. As far as Chanel goes, um, they were interested in the meaning of the number five. And as we all know, there's, Astrology is one lens into the human. Numerology is another. There's um, many things out there, right? Mm-hmm. There's ways mm-hmm. of looking at at reality, the human design, right. gene keys. There's many different um, systems. I think astrology is quite different because it's obviously it's a mathematics. It's a right. it's the language of our sky. But numerology um, is something that I'm also interested in as well. So. I did a study on the number five um, for that, for Chanel ultimately. And I did, I was, I did a bit of numerology combined with astrology for all of the members of that company at this event and press, um, which was pretty interesting. Um, But yeah, Gabriel Chanel loved the number five. So I, you know, um, I I think it's, it's all valid. Um, I'm, my main practice is of course, astrology. Though I, I remember like in my, when I was um, 13, 14, 15, and in even my early 20s, I was probably doing um, a lot of study in tarot um, as mm-hmm. well as teaching and other modalities too. Eventually I realized my language is the sky, it's astrology, right. but I'm for sure, I mean, all of these are completely valid and interesting. So yeah, that, that was the yeah. study I did for Chanel and five. Well, yeah, generally, I mean, there are a lot of interpretations of five, but a five-pointed star, it can be, it can be sometimes unstable, but it can also be a number of like growth. Um, there's a lot to number five, and people, you know, can. Did, oh, you, did you come yeah. from, just just quickly? What what did you conclude with the number five? 
Well, I looked at the shape of the five, and generally it's the number of transition and transformation, right. which has to do with leaving the past behind, as right. you see the back, sort of like that bowl of the five going into okay. the past, and then the line up, and then the top line into the future. Right. Um, so whenever we do see five come up a lot, we know that this person is in a process of leaving the past behind and starting fresh. Right. Um, and I think if you know a bit about Gabrielle Chanel's bio, um, there this there were many times where she took this right. sort of um, like drastic action to leave everything from the past and move forward into this new trajectory. Um, and I can see that as a big trademark in her life, I guess, that sort of um, the ability to extract herself from a situation and start fresh over and over. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. Wonderful. So, okay, we're coming down to the last few minutes. Well, 2020, I mean, a lot of we astrologers, we knew the Saturn-Pluto conjunction was happening 2020. We knew Mars and Aries, and we know uh, Saturn-Jupiter conjunction at the end of the year. So, you know, my God, it's like the last few minutes on this podcast, but 20, oh man, 2020 into 2021, any sort of in the last like, um, you know, five minutes, your take on some of these crazy transits in 2020 and then what we might look for in 2021 and how we can move with these planets and, you know, be more poetic and imaginative because that seems to be the theme of this podcast. It's not that the planets are doing anything to us per se, although there are events that occur, but how we might move into the future because that, well, that's Saturn Jupiter conjunction. It is Aquarius, which is the sign of the future. But what, what's your take, Rebecca? <laughs> yeah, with the big old cap stack, right? Saturn, Pluto <laughs> and Jupiter all in Capricorn. Mm -hmm. I mean, Right. Everything breathes together. It's not the planets don't make you do things. I mean, the, the same sim, similar elements exist in us that not doing the planets. It's, it's almost so, so, Yeah. And let me I have a good quote that you. this is from the New York Post this is what you said. It's not astrology's fault that you're a jerk. <laughs> okay. <so. laughs> right. Right. Um, so. Exactly. I, I really don't want any of us blaming, oh, Saturn made me do it. Oh, it's because of Mercury retrograde. Like, well, yes, Mercury's retrograde, that means slow the roll. But but anyway, back, back to this um, whole 2020 thing. Um, so it's Earth, right? We have a lot of planets in the sign of Capricorn and at the end of Capricorn gathering up. So it's it's the end of structure and form. Right. And it, as we know, there's it's like the last time some of these cycles happen was thousands and thousands of years ago. So we're, we're coming to the end of one way of doing things in the world. Um, ultimately, again, as above, so below, but also as below, so above. So mm -hmm. if we are not making, um, creating, this is about form. If we're not building these structures within our internal realities, mm that will dictate our lives, that will be structures and forms to live by, that will be, um, yeah, codes and values. If we're not focusing on this, if we're simply just reacting to all the crazy out there, mm -hmm. um, then then we're a part of somebody else's forms. But the, the thing mm -hmm. is, some, somebody is creating a form and structure right now. That's mm -hmm. happening. Something's galvanizing in the collective. And also something's destroying. So. I would say it's about personal responsibility right now. You want to create the world you want to live in. Mm -hmm. This is not a time to just get constantly flustered by the news and media. This is a time to start building the reality you want as mm -hmm. all of the planets. I live in Capricorn right now. Mm -hmm. um, 
so and I, I think that's sort of what what can happen way too easily now is we can get caught up in the fear Trump said this she said that what's the debate you know and and then we forget about our agency and that mm-hmm. we if we do focus on building from the inside out um, we can absolutely create the world we want to live in um, and I'm not saying to be passive because I you know I, I do believe of course in voting and everything like that um, though I also think we need to be builders right now and with Uranus and Taurus and with Pluto and Capricorn, um, Jupiter and Saturn now in Capricorn, we have to think, how do we start building a new way of building the world we want to live in, working with other people to create this as in 21, Jupiter and Saturn enter Aquarius. I mean, we are going to be impregnating consciousness with completely new ideas Mm. that have not seen the light of day before. Um, I think the last time that happened was what, like 1405, you know, the Jupiter and Saturn met in Aquarius like this. And that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, I always say, it's like we're a fly walking across the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And we can only see sometimes like what's right in front of us. I think astrology really helps us in seeing the vastness of these cycles and like, wow, look what happened then oh, that was the Mongol invasion, you know, <laughs> right? And who talks about that now? I mean, it was the biggest invasion. Right? You know, it's or actually the fun. end of the Mongol empire. I mean, right. honestly, that's what this was last time all these planets gathered in Cap. The end of a huge empire. Okay, so what do you want to create? What? How do we want to live then? That, you know, it, it's not about going back to how things were five years ago at all. Right. And it's funny you should bring up the Mongol Empire because I and I always feel like um nobody watches it, but that great show on Netflix, Marco Polo, um, and it gets into you know, he's like at the court of Kublai Khan, but I find it very fascinating. But yeah, this is all wonderful. So yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's actually really good stuff. I wish people you know, it's really very interesting. But um so, okay, right. And that I think that's, you know, and I, I think a lot of us, we astrologers, we recognize 2020 would be, there would be structures changing. And then 2021, it's moving into the future. And, you know, that that's, this is the main theme. And I mean, we could get more into the detail, but, but right. Um, so you were almost out of time. Do you have anything else you wanted to say, Rebecca? I mean, you, you have, um, you know, I gave your website, RebeccaGordonAstrology.com. You know, everybody can check out all this stuff that we've been talking about, the work Rebecca does. Um, and honestly, it's a, it's, these are beautiful websites. The Instagram is great. I mean, because we were talking about Rebecca's great creative background, but you also, a very interesting course astrology for entrepreneurs could you talk about that a little bit and how people can get involved with that sure i yeah i mean i've been teaching this course for quite a while now and uh, i'm really passionate about helping entrepreneurs use astrology in their life also helping astrologers build their businesses too because i think the world needs more astrologers right uh so i do teach this class every year it starts on january 27th 2021 and it's a four-week immersion it goes till february 17th and it's live every wednesday night with me but you have lifetime access to still watch it through the school Mm. software Mm -hmm. and if people are interested in signing up uh, you can get on the wait list now 
or maybe um, the cart will be open by the time you're listening to this. Mm -hmm. But if you do get on the wait list, uh, there are a lot of benefits to being on that wait list because you'll mm -hmm. get all these VIP bonuses. We also offer you a lot of other classes and things too. So I recommend getting on the list if you can and signing up for the class. It's a wonderful class. I mean, some people say it's their favorite class that mm -hmm. we teach in the wow. school um, because I think it's open, very open to people that have also had no experience with astrology mm. before and mm -hmm. sometimes it's their first astrology class sometimes mm -hmm. they're, we do have a lot of other kinds of entrepreneurs who take it that want to know how can we integrate astrology into our business and life um so it's, yeah. it's really making astrology much more tangible in that way and we look at yeah. um specifically like what role we came here to do in business a lot of us astrologers think oh i, I love astrology so i'm going to give readings well, maybe not. Not everybody's right. a reader. Not right. everybody's a writer. Some people are more teachers. Some people are more coaches. I mean, right. we all have a different role right. in this whole vastness of astrology, too. Uh -huh. And so what that class does is really help you to drill down into what your talents are in the world and how you can best express them. Also, what sort of team would be best for you what sort of other people do you mm. need to really help balance you or mm. practices um so it, it's the during the class we all kind of go through a lot of processes together and help mm -hmm. each other too it's a lot of in all our classes it's a ton of community building we have mm. facebook groups that are for each class and that's where a lot a lot happens so so yeah that's a bit about astrology for entrepreneurs um you can you know email if you have questions about it but mm -hmm. thanks for mentioning that too yeah it's wonderful and i this is what i always tell especially clients and other people who are getting into astrology always you know this is great stuff i love what you're doing because it's you really you learn astrology in time and it can still be integrated in other areas of life not just the island of astrology and you, you as you learn astrology in time, you'll be doing good astrology. So it, it's not like you have to have, as you said, you had some students coming in 10 years, they've been reading books and they're like, okay, well, I don't know anything. So, so they, I love this. This is great stuff. All right. Well, I think that's about it. So thank you so much, Rebecca. And this is Dan Beck signing off from the Star Love Podcast. And remember, if you love the stars, they'll love you back. Thank you for listening to the Star Love Podcast. On the next episode, we welcome data scientist and historian of astrology, Alexander Boxer. We discuss the tragic divorce between science and the humanities, how astrologers were the data scientists of their day, and how famed astrologer Ptolemy mapped out a guide similar to the Spartacus International Gay Guide. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts, and if you're interested in sponsoring the Star Love Podcast, email Manager James at james at intermakeup.net. To support the continued production of the Starlove podcast, go to the Leave a Tip Make-A-Wish section at intermakeup.net.